In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All righty. It's great to be up here. Um, first of all, <clears throat> I would like to once again thank Pastor for this opportunity to preach to you guys, to edify you guys. It's, it's a great honor to stand behind this pulpit, and it should not be taken lightly. <clears throat> the title of my sermon tonight is Game Time. Game Time. So let's open up in a word of prayer real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray you fill me with your spirit and you help me to edify this congregation. I pray that you give me the wisdom that I need to speak your word. Use me as your voice, Lord. In Jesus' precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. So game time. So if you remember the last time I, uh, I preached, I preached a, a sermon called The Mindset of Satan. The Mindset of Satan. And uh, <clears throat> in that sermon, I kind of uh, told you that it was one part of this, this book I was reading, one part of this equation in this book. And in that sermon, I talked about this book. And this book that I read is called uh, Sheep No More, uh, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. So I don't know if you remember that or if you were here. But I want to read for you again real quick that, that uh, first page of the introduction because it really does uh, set the stage for this sermon. So real quick, we'll read that. It says, for a moment, I want you to pause. And with a clear mind, I want you to read the following question and consider the implications of what it is asking you. How much of your life, your safety, your awareness, your health, your learning, your relationship with God, the safety of your children, your money, and so on, how much of all that and the rest of your life depends upon protection from others? Not knowing the answer to this question is called learn helplessness. And wherever you see it, you will also see a cultural cancer of unawareness. Who protects your life? Who hates you? What are the tactics that those who protect you might use to ensure absolute survivability in something like a terrorist attack? Can you really plan and rehearse your actions if you are caught up in a violent attack? How do you know the tactics the bad guys will utilize to attack you? If you don't know the answers to these questions, then there is a good chance you have been indoctrinated to believe it's impossible for you to develop awareness and for you to be your own protector. That stops today. So real quick, what this book is about is what's called the attacker-defender mindset. Right? If you don't remember what I was talking about, the attacker-defender mindset. And the thing is, is if we are aware... We find ourselves in one of those two categories. We are attacking or we are defending, right? We're attacking or we're defending. We're in one of those two mindsets. And the book talks about this equation. It talks about this equation called the target equation. And in the target equation, there's two parts to it. There are the criticalities or the assets, and there are the tactics. In my previous sermon, we talked about the tactics, the tactics, now, the criticalities are comprised of critical assets, right? What are critical assets? Critical assets are the very things that, if removed from a location, would cause the target to cease functioning or function in a reduced capacity. I'm talking things like your house, your car, your food, your water, things like that. Those are your assets, your critical athlete assets in a, in a worldly uh, speak, right? What are the critical, it's also comprised of critical areas. So what are the critical areas in your life? Well, those are where those critical assets are located. So your food is at your home, right? Things like that. Your car is at your home. Your job is at your work. Those are critical areas for you. It's also composed of critical times. Now, critical times are when the target is most vulnerable, where security is most lax, those are the critical times, and those can vary from person to person. Criticalities also involve vulnerabilities. You know, those are things that can be exploited by an attacker, things that can be used against you. And then lastly, it's avenues of approach. Which way is he going to come from? Where is he going to attack you from? 
Those are the criticalities in this target equation. And previously, we talked about the tactics in this equation. Now, tactics are comprised of motivation, techniques, tactics, and procedures, right? And those, when you, when you look at those, you can correlate those with the mindset of Satan. And that's what I did in my previous sermon. In the previous sermon, we transitioned to the second part of that equation, and we talked about Satan's mindset. And the thing about the Christian life is we all know who our attacker is, and that is the devil himself. That is Satan, all right? And he has tactics that he uses. Now, today, I have three points on how we can gain an awareness and defend against those attacks from Satan. So we're going to be talking about the criticalities, right? Like I said, the title of this sermon is Game Time, right? Game Time. Because all games, you have an attacker, a defender, an offense, a defense, someone going after someone with the ball, someone trying to keep the ball, right? So point number one is this. And by way of introduction, half of point number one is the attacker. Point number one is called the players, right? There's attackers and defenders. So part A is the attacker, and I'm going to recap real quick those tactics that Satan has. So the attacker, Satan. Satan is our attacker. He's the one that's attacking us. He's the one that wants to knock you out of the Christian life, right? And in that sermon, we found out that we needed to gain an understanding of his mindset and how he works in order to gain the awareness we need to defend against him, right? And I had four points in that sermon. And those four points were comprised of the mindset of Satan, right? And real quick to review, number one, Satan's mindset is comprised of a motivation, a motivation, right? What's his motivation? Well, he wanted to be like God, right? His motivation was pride. His downfall was pride. He knew his time was limited. Isaiah 14, verse 12 says this. It says, "'How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning?' How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I, 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 I. Satan's motivation is pride. Pride. Not only that, but he knew his time was limited. Isaiah 14, 15 says, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So his motivation is his pride, and his motivation is his limited amount of time. He knows it's going to run out someday. And secondly, his mindset was comprised of techniques. Techniques. And his techniques are this, temptation, right? He tempts you with the world. It's deceit. He's a liar, and he's an accuser. He wants to badmouth you to God, right? Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3 says this. It says, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Look, he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. He tempted Eve in the garden. Genesis 3, 1 says this. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So he tempts her with the fruit of the tree, and he deceives her. Did God really say that? He's deceiving her. He's doubting the word of God. Not only that, he's an accuser, right? Job 1.11 says this. It says, But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Look. Satan wanted to accuse Job to God. He said, look, if you take what he has, he'll curse you to his face. He wanted to accuse him. He wanted to get him to to talk bad about God. So he uses motivation techniques. He also uses, number three, tactics. He uses the fear of man to trap you. He traps you with the fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. So motivation, tactics, techniques, procedure. He has an established way 
of doing this to you, getting you to sin. He has an established way he does this. So number one, he tempts you to sin, right? He'll tempt you with power, prestige, the world, riches, music, gossip, Facebook, whatever. He tempts you with it. And then he deceives you that it's not that bad that you fell into that sin. He says, ah, it's not that bad. You can get right tomorrow, right? And look, and when you're stuck in that sin, what's he do? He goes to God and says, look, he'll curse you to his face, right? He says, look, look what he did. Look what he did. He doesn't, he's not focused on you. No, he's focused on himself. And then he has his trap set. Look, he uses the fear of man. He makes you afraid. He makes you afraid that somebody's going to find out what you did. He makes you afraid that, oh, if I stop and get this right right now, I might be told to do something else or get in trouble. My boss might see me, right? He makes you afraid. He makes you afraid to ask for help. He uses the fear of mad. man. And like I said, point number one is the players. And the first part of that point, by way of introduction, is the attacker. And Satan's mindset is comprised of motivation techniques, tactics, and a procedure. So what's the second part of that point? The second part of that point is the defender, right? And this is the criticalities, right? The first part of that equation that we're getting into now. The defender. Who's the defender? Well, that's the child of God, right? The saved believer. It's you guys. It's us. It's me, right? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, or chapter 5, 1 Peter 5. First Peter 5 and verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So who's our attacker? Satan, right? The Bible calls him a lion. And he's, wa- roaring, he's uh, walking about seeking whom he may devour, right? Have you ever thought about lions? Right? How they work? How they attack? You know, he wants to corner you. He wants to pull you out of the herd. He wants to attack you and devour you. But look, God calls us sheep. He calls us sheep, right? And the thing is this. Sheep are prey. A lion's a predator. The devil wants to attack the sheep because he wants to eat the sheep. He wants to devour the sheep. He wants to destroy the sheep. And the thing is this. Psalms 23.1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. All right? Jesus is our shepherd. Psalms 100 verse 3 says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us. And not we ourselves, we are as people, the sheep of his pasture. We are sheep. We are prey to the devil. And the thing about sheep is this. This is what a sheep's defined as. A domesticated, ruminant animal with a thick, woolly coat and curving horns. It is kept in flocks for its wool or meat and is proverbial for its tendency to follow others in the flock. Or a person who is too easily influenced or led astray. We're sheep. Satan's our predator. We're the prey. We're dumb sheep. He's a smart lion. We're easily influenced. We're easily distracted. We're easily taken out of the fight and led astray. As sheep, we're vulnerable. And we're vulnerable enough to where we need to be aware of our criticalities, our vulnerabilities, so that we can prevent this from happening to us, right? We need to be aware of where we are vulnerable. And that's the first part of this target equation, the critical criticalities, right? So think about the critical assets. What are your critical assets? Well, those are the very things that if removed from a location will cause a target to cease functioning or function in a reduced capacity. Now, worldly, those are easy. That's your food, that's your house, that's your car, that's your family, your water, things like that. But spiritually speaking, what are the criticalities that we have? There's really only two of them. And those two are this, the Word of God, right? You take away the Word, or you change or you doubt the Word, we fell as Christians. If we don't have that, we don't know what we're doing. Number two, the Holy Spirit. 
You take away the Spirit, or you quench the Spirit, we fail as Christians. There's really only two criticalities in the Christian life. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Without those, we can't do anything for God. The critical areas. Where are the critical assets located? Well, church, home, work. This is a critical area. Without church, we, we, don't, we don't know what we're doing. We're making YouTube videos about stupid stuff, you know? The critical times. When the target is most vulnerable, where security is most laxed? Well, for me, that's at home or when I'm at work. When you're here, everybody's on point. Everybody's on point. You go home, tie comes off, right? Beer gut comes out. It's true. You're not going to do that stuff here. The vulnerabilities. Well, Christian life, what about your past? What about your addictions you used to have? Your family. You know, a lot of people, they falter when something comes after their family. Your work. Oh, I'm going to lose my job. I can't go to that church anymore. What about the avenue's approach? Which way the attacker should approach? Where is your guard going to be down? For everybody, that's different, right? So let's put this target package together. I'll give you a quick example of my life, what I deal with every morning, right? So we know Satan's tactics, right? Pride, temptation, fear, established way of doing something, right? How about my criticalities? My criticalities. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit. Right? Those are my spiritual criticalities. Where's my critical area? Well, I do most of my work from home. So my critical area is home. Right? What's my critical time? That's easy for me. That's the morning. As soon as I get up. As soon as I get up, I try to get in my Bible. I try to get in the Word of God. I try to pray. What are my vulnerabilities? This. That's my vulnerability. YouTube, the news, entertainment, right? I sit at a computer work all day. That's my avenue of approach. My phone. So here's how it goes down. As soon as I get up, Get dressed, sit down at my desk. I'm supposed to open up the Word of God. I'm supposed to get in the Word of God, right? What happens? Ding, ding. Right away, ding, ding. It starts going off. I start getting notifications. YouTube, whatever. People texting me. All kinds of stuff. I got 20,000 unanswered emails in my inbox. All kinds of stuff's flying at me. So I decide, I'll just take a quick look. I'll just take a quick look, then I'll get back to it. I'll get back to reading the Word of God, right? Look, he deceives me. But look, this this is kind of important, you know. Something's on fire, building burnt down, whatever. You don't know. I'll take a quick look, and I'll get back into it. And then before I know it, look, look, I've spent all morning all morning before I'm supposed to start work, scrolling through YouTube. It's happened on more than one occasion. It's happened on more than one occasion. I'm scrolling through YouTube. I got to get to work now. I didn't read my Bible. I didn't pray. I've taken the Word of God out of my life for the day, and I've quenched the Holy Spirit. Those have been removed. Look. Then once I realize that, what's the devil do? He says, he says, hey, look what he did. Look what he did. He just wasted his whole morning. He didn't read your word. He didn't pray. He didn't do any of that. Look, and then what? I'm too afraid to just take a moment and read the word of God, to pray. Even tell God I'm sorry. You're too afraid to do that because i got to get to work. Because if I don't get to work, 
I don't make money. Look, I'm too afraid to stop doing what I'm doing. I'm too afraid that somebody else might see me doing it. My boss might call me and say, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, well, nothing, working. Too afraid to get right. And I just say this. This is what I say. I make excuses. I'll just, I'll get right tomorrow. I'll get in the Word of God tomorrow. Because look, if you have kids, you don't get it done in the morning, it's not happening. You don't get it done before they get up, it's not happening. If you got kids, it's not going to happen. Trust me. So look, he uses the fear of man. He keeps me stuck. I'm too afraid to stop doing what I'm doing. I'm too afraid to get right. I make it a choice. I say, look, tomorrow's, I'll get it right tomorrow. Then what happens? Here comes tomorrow. Ding, ding, ding. So look, turn the phone off. That's what I got to do. I got to turn the phone off. I got to make a point to turn the phone off. Right? The Christian life is a fight. And we have to know what to do about it and how we are going to win this fight. And look, God expects us to be advancing in the Christian life. He doesn't want us sitting stagnant in the Christian life. He doesn't want us going backwards in the Christian life. He wants us advancing as well. And God gave us resources to fight this battle. He gave us resources to fight this spiritual battle. He gave us spiritual armor and spiritual weapons, right? And we ought to be in the battle using those armor, that armor and those weapons and advancing against the enemy. You're there in Ephesians? Turn to Ephesians, chapter 6. Look at verse 10, Ephesians 6, 10. The Bible reads, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil. What are the wiles of the devil? Those are the tricks, the traps. It's what he uses to deceive you. Those are his tactics, right? His techniques. So real quick, by review, we have the players, right? The players. Who are the players? Number one, the attacker. That's the devil, right? And he uses motivation, techniques, and tactics to go after you. Who's the defender? That's us. We're the critical assets, right? We have critical assets. We have critical areas, critical times, vulnerabilities, and avenues of approach. Point number two on the sermon is defense, right? We're on defense. You flip a coin, we always get defense, right? The devil always gets offense. We get defense. So we're supposed to defend against his attacks, right? So how do we do that? We do that by putting on the armor of God. We wear the defensive armor of God. So what is the defensive armor of God? Well, number one, we ought to be putting on truth, right? Ephesians 6, 14. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Look, God has given us truth, and we're supposed to have our loins girt about with truth. It's like a belt. That's what he's talking about. We're supposed to encircle ourselves with it. We're supposed to surround ourselves with it. Look, And the devil wants to attack that truth. He wants to attack the truth out of the Word of God. He wants to change the Word of God. He wants to get you to not know what the truth is, right? Satan has been attacking truth. Turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 44 says this. It says, Ye are your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan wants to attack the truth, because he has no truth in him. He wants to change the Word of God. He wants to get you to doubt the Word of God. He wants to influence you with things 
other than the truth, with the world, with science, evolution, stupid stuff like that. Look, he wants to attack truth. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 3, Satan attacked truth. He attacked the word of God, and he deceived Eve into thinking that she should eat the fruit, right? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 says this. It says, For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Look, Adam was not deceived because he knew what the truth was. He was told the truth plainly. He heard it verbatim. But look, the devil knew that the woman didn't quite hear the truth. And he was able to deceive her. She didn't hear it firsthand. She heard it from Adam. Adam was not deceived, but the woman believed the lie, right? Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 3 says this. It says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itchy ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Look, that time when people have itching ears or turned away from the truth and turn unto fables, that time is now, right? This is our day. This is our day when we believe the lies, right? The they in that verse are the people in the church. And this pastor is about a this passage is about a pastor in his congregation. Look. The thing is, the people in the congregation want to be lied to. They want to be told not truths. They want to be told lies. They want to be lied to. They want to have their ears tickled, right? There's all kinds of information out there. All kinds of people spewing out garbage out of their mouths to deceive and tickle the ears of people. But look, the problem is this. The truth hurts. The truth hurts. You know? Someone tells you you have long hair, you need to get a haircut. That hurts. Someone tells you you're, you're living in fornication, you need to get married. That hurts. You committed adultery. That hurts. But look, that's the truth. Amen. The devil wants to change it. He wants to make you believe it's, it's all right. It's all right to have long hair, Jesus. Right? That's not the truth. That's the lie. John 14, 6. This is biblical Jesus. John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is truth. The Word of God is truth. The Bible is truth. Not only is Jesus truth, but the Holy Spirit is truth. John 14, 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. If we have the Word of God, and we have salvation, we have the Holy Spirit. We have truth. We have truth times two. Jesus is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. The Bible is truth. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus is truth. These words are truth. These words are Jesus. Not the physical book. The words on the page. This is truth. This is how you hear truth. This is how he talks to you. When people start giving you some revelation of God and it doesn't start with chapter and verse, they're lying. They're deceiving you. They're giving you an untruth. John four twenty four. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in the spirit and in truth. You come to Verity Baptist Church. You may have gone to a different church before. We do things differently here. Amen. We do things according to truth. Amen. We must worship him in spirit and truth. We must be worshiping God the way he wants to be worshipped. 
We're not making a new cart and putting the ark on it. No, we're doing it the way he wants us to. You're going to find some Levites, and they're going to get some poles, and they'll start carrying it. Look, you don't have a 40-minute concert service and a 15-minute something about tithing in the building fund. That's not worshiping in truth. No, you preach the Word of God. You quote the Scripture, right? You make it applicable. The devil wants to attack us, and the devil attacks us with lies. And what do we do to defend ourselves? We defend ourselves with truth. We girt ourselves with truth. We get in the Word of God. We do it the right way. We do what God wants us to do. We hold on to the Word of God. We don't quench the Holy Spirit. We girt ourselves with truth. We must surround ourselves with truth. So the first part of the defensive armor is this. Number one, we must put on truth. What's the second part? Turn back to Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 14. Number two, we must put on righteousness. We defend against the devil with righteousness, right? Ephesians 6, 14 says this. It says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. What is righteousness, right? Righteousness is doing right things, doing godly things, living a godly life, being right in all your works, right? And the thing is this, there's extents to righteousness, right? Doing right in all our works, that was attained by only one man, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not right in all my works. I do things wrong sometimes, every day. Look, none of us do right all the time. Only God does. And one of the ways we fight the devil is by putting on righteousness, by purposing to do right in our lives. Back in Genesis chapter 3, what did we find? We found that Satan wanted to tempt you to sin, right? And he tempted Jesus with the same thing in the wilderness. The thing is this. In the Christian life, we may feel oppressed. We may feel under attack. But the way we fight Satan is by living righteously, by purposing to do right in our lives. In the book of Daniel, what happened to Daniel? Right? They wanted to make a law against him praying to God, right? But what did Daniel do? He purposed to do right. He said, look, I'm going to pray to God because I need to pray to God, because he wants me to pray to him. That is right. In Acts 5.29, Peter said what? He said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Look, you ought to obey God rather than men. Anytime man comes and says, no, you need to do this, and it interferes with what God wants you to do, work on Sunday, overtime Saturday, got to work late Wednesday, sorry. No, I'm going to do right. I'm going to be here in this building. I'm going to be here Wednesday night. I'm going to be here Sunday morning, Sunday evening. I'm going to be here for soul winning. I've said this before. Look, I would rather miss a church service than miss soul winning. I would rather miss a church service than miss soul winning. You know why? Because when I miss soul winning, somebody ends up going to hell because I wasn't there to give them the gospel. I'm purposing to do right. Four days a week, five days a week, seven days a week. Look, you can come to church and you can learn a lot of Bible here, right? But here's the thing. If you're doing nothing with it, you're not putting on righteousness. Right. If you're not applying it to your life, you're not putting on righteousness, right. right? If you're still struggling with the same sins you've been struggling with for years, look, you're going to lose the spiritual battle. When you don't make any changes in your life, oh, I'll just change tomorrow. I'll just change tomorrow. Same thing happens. I'll just change tomorrow. Same thing happens. 
and that happens over and over and over. It's like a regular basis. Like people could count on you doing that. Look, you're not putting on righteousness. You're not purposing to do right in your life. Look, we must learn to walk righteously. We must learn to do right. We must learn to live with integrity, right? And the thing is, people today, they lie. They lie, they cheat, and they steal for no reason. And look, that is not something for a Christian to do. I mean, think about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, right? What did they do? Look, they said, yeah, we're going to sell our land, and we're going to give it all to the church. And they sold the land, and they're like, wow, this is a lot. We'll give them some. Look, they lied. They did not purpose to do right. They did not purpose to do what they said they were going to do. They didn't have to give it all, but they said they would, right? And what did they do? They paid with their life. Sometimes, if you don't purpose to do right, you're going to pay with your life, right? 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You see, here at Verity Baptist Church, look, we want to teach you to do right. That's what Pastor gets up here and does. Every time he's at this pool, he's teaching you to do right, right? He's not teaching you to build the building fund. He's not teaching you whatever old IFB doctrine they got going on, right? No, he's teaching you to do right. He's making applicable sermons for you, right? And the thing is, he's going to preach the truth when he does that. If you sat in these chairs, you've heard the truth, and it's hit you like a ton of bricks. Look, to do right, you have to be taught you're doing wrong. So, the defensive armor, number one, we must put on truth. Number two, we must put on righteousness. Back to Ephesians chapter 6. Number three, taking the shield of faith. Look, we have to take the shield of faith in order to quench those darts from the devil, those attacks from the devil. We defend with our shield, right? Ephesians 6.16 says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked with the shield of faith. Satan wants you to get you to doubt, right? He says, yea, hath God said, right? Look, back in Genesis 3, like I said, Eve was already confused. You know why? Because it was Adam that told her not to touch the tree, not God telling her not to touch the tree. God told Adam. She was never told by God directly. And when somebody, when you think you're doing what the Bible says and you haven't read it, Anybody could tell you what it says. Any, any false prophet could tell you what it says. You're going to be confused out of your mind. That's what was happening to Eve. Look, she was already confused. God, God told Adam back in Genesis chapter 2 before Eve was even created. And the thing is, is once he gets you to doubt the word of God, he just causes more doubt. He just adds to it. He keeps pumping it in there, right? So, no, we ought to put on the shield of faith. Revelation 12, 10 says this. It says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the, our brethren is cast down, which accuses them before God day and night. See, look, Satan's going to attack you. He's going to attack you by accusing you and in, in order to cause doubt in your life, Right? He may accuse you of not being saved. He may accuse you of thinking, am I really saved? If you haven't read the word of God and you just heard it preached from some soul winner at the door, look, you might get caused out. It might cause doubt in your life. That's why people get reassurance sometimes. A lot of kids, I mean, my kids have gotten saved hundreds of times. I only have two of them, right? Because they're not old enough to read. They are now. When they're little, they aren't. They have problems, right? Look, he's going to accuse you. He's going to cause doubt in your life. Look, and what is doubt? 
That's the opposite of believing what the Word of God says. That's the opposite, right? Doubt is going to attack your faith. Look, when you doubt the Word of God, you've just lost your faith. When I was saved, I was saved by my wife. And I was sitting in the living room, and she was talking to my son, Andrew. She was giving Andrew the gospel. Now, she didn't grow up being a soul winner. She didn't know the plan of salvation like we lay it out every weekend. No, she was showing him John 3.16. John 3.16. For whosoever believeth in him, I always quote John 3.16 wrong. I'm like a 45-year-old kid sometimes. Let me get to it. I never memorized it as a kid. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I heard her quote that verse. And I wasn't saved at the time. And I'm like, that's it? I just got to believe in Jesus? Then I'll go to heaven. Believe that he died on the cross, I'll go to heaven. That's it? Now, I didn't get saved that moment. It was later on. I won't get into it. But look, I got saved by just using John 3.16. Was eternal security explained to me? Absolutely not. It wasn't explained. But I didn't doubt it. I didn't doubt it. I had enough faith when I believed John 3.16 and what it said and how to go to heaven that I didn't doubt that it's just Jesus. I just put my trust in Jesus, and he takes me to heaven. I didn't say, well, yeah, I'm going to do that, but I guess i got to start going to church, right? No, I didn't have any of that. I didn't change my life for 10 years after I got saved. I was still a worldly Christian. Look, when you don't have on the shield of faith, when you don't read what the Bible says and you don't know what it says, look, he can cause you to doubt, and he can shake your faith, right? Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says this. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. So look, look. My faith, my faith in what the Word of God says, that's my evidence of things unseen. That's my evidence that God exists. This Word right here is the only evidence anybody's going to have for anything. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. When you shake this word, when you doubt this word, and you change what it says, you're going to doubt the word of God and remove your faith. Don't let that happen. Start reading your Bible. Get in the word of God. Learn it. Make it a habit. You fight against the doubt. You fight against the devil taking away your faith by putting on the shield of faith. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. You increase your faith by hearing the Word of God, hearing it preached to you, coming to church, hearing the Word of God preached, reading the Word of God. Faith cometh by the Word of God. How do you increase your faith? Hearing the Word of God, your Bible reading, your church attendance, your fellowship with other believers. 1 Peter 5.8, remember I said, as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour, The most effective lions, they hunt in packs, right? They hunt in packs. They're experts at hunting, right? And what they do is they back their prey into the corner. They start getting you to doubt from every different angle, right? And then they attack from different directions. And what they want to do is they want to shake someone out of the herd, right? Right. If you've been coming to church long enough, something bad will happen. Somebody here. Then what else? You get three, four, five other things start happening to other people. That's the devil. He's attacking. He's trying to shake you from the herd. He's trying to knock one of you out. He's trying to get you to doubt your faith. It comes in waves, right? They back us into a corner. He wants to shake you out and cause you to doubt. He wants to knock you out of the Christian life. And great Christians fall because they get four or five devils on them. And they allow their job. They allow their family. They allow their circumstances to bring them out of the herd. There's strength in numbers. Stay in the herd. 
don't get your face shaken. The worst, worst thing you can do is separate yourself from fellowship, from church. Separate yourself from this congregation. And look, you're not going to be able to fight that battle on your own. Nine times out of ten, people take off and they don't come back. Because they shook themselves out. They doubted. So what's the defensive armor? Number one, we put on truth. Number two, we put on righteousness. Number three, we take the shield of faith. Number four, back to Ephesians chapter six. I've got about four more pages of notes and I'm out of time. So we'll go a little quick here. Number four, we must take the helmet of salvation. We must take the helmet of salvation. Verse 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Look, the whole point in Genesis chapter 3 was to get Eve to sin. Was to get her to sin so that she would die and go to hell. That was the point. That was the, the attack the devil made on her, right? Look, if you're unsaved, Satan wants you to die and go to hell. Look, hell was created for the devil and his angels. It wasn't created for you. It was, you were never meant to be there. Look, and the devil wants to bring you along with him. That's what he wants to do. If you're unsaved, he wants to drag as many people with him to hell. Look, if you're unsaved, he doesn't mind if you're religious. He doesn't mind if you go to church. He doesn't mind if you live a godly life, right? As long as you die and go to hell, as long as you don't have salvation in your life. And look, if you're saved, what does he want you to do? He wants you to be ineffective. He wants you to be ineffective. He wants you to be scared of going soul winning. That's his primary objective. He wants you scared of going soul winning. He doesn't mind if you come here every service and sit in the pews. If you're not out soul winning, the devil's doing his job. Right? No, he wants you to be ineffective. He doesn't want you winning souls to Christ. Look, taking the helmet is soul winning. When you take the helmet of salvation and you're a saved Christian, that is soul winning. That is taking the helmet of salvation. Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Look, the devil has power over death. He has power over death. Revelation 20, verse 14 says, And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. Satan wants you to die physically, and he wants you to die spiritually. He wants you to die and go to hell. That's his primary objective. Look, he wants both your body and soul to be cast in the lake of fire, which is the second death. And how do you get there? How do you get to the lake of fire? By unbelieving, right? Satan's plan and attack on you is sin. And you defend against that by getting saved, by putting on the helmet of salvation. Amen. But look, we don't want our faith shaken, right? We want the helmet of salvation. 1 John 5, 13 says this. It says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Romans 10, 9 says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Look, Satan attacks you by getting you to sin so you can die and go to hell. And you defend against that by getting saved. You defend against Satan's attack by getting saved. And you can know that. You can put on that helmet of salvation, right? So, number one, we defend by putting on truth. We defend by putting on righteousness. We defend by taking the shield of faith. Number four, we defend by taking the helmet of salvation. Back to Ephesians chapter 6 real quick. Try to finish this this up quickly. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Verse 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Look, Ephesians 6.10 and 17, look, they're talking to brethren. They're talking to the saved people, right? That's who they're talking to. And the primary application is not just getting saved, but it is actually going soul winning. That's the primary application of those verses, right? And the Christian life isn't about knowing everything, right? It's not about sitting here and knowing everything possible about the end times. Coming to church is, oh, I could tell you six ways from Sunday how it's after the tribulation. That's not the primary objective in the Christian life. The primary objective 
is the Bible way to heaven, right? The primary objective, the thing you need to know is how to go to heaven, how to lead someone to heaven, how to lead someone to Christ, how to let them know that they can be sure they are saved. Look, the Christian life is about reaching others for the cause of Christ, right? This brings me to point three, point three, offense. As Christians, we ought to be advancing in the Christian life. We need to be attackers too. We need to switch that mindset from defender to attacker. And how do we do that? With offensive weapons. And God has given us offensive weapons, and some of them are part of the armor. Ephesians 6.15 says this. It says, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We ought to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What does that mean? Look, we ought to be on our feet taking people the gospel. We ought to be going out and knocking doors. We ought to be going out and showing people how they can be saved. Romans 10, 14 says this. It says, And how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? If you don't go to their door, how are they going to hear it? They're not going to come to you. You ought to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We ought to be bringing them the gospel. It continues on. It says, And how shall they preach except they be sent? So when in Saturdays, we send you out. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Look, my feet aren't pretty, but you know what? God says they are. I got one big foot and one small foot and a short leg. It's beautiful. We must go preach the gospel. God expects us to preach the gospel and go soul winning. And look, Matthew 16, 18 says, And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. He says, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Look, we ought to be advancing against the gates of hell, and we advance against it by preaching the gospel. What's the second offensive weapon? The word of God. Right? Ephesians 6, 17 says, it says, And take the helmet of salvation, he says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Not only do we have a helmet of salvation, but we have the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, right? Hebrews 4.12 says this. It says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, right? We have the Word of God. The Word of God is our sword, and it's sharp and powerful. And we fight against the devil by using the Word of God. Jesus, when he was in the wilderness being tempted, turn to Matthew chapter 4 real quick. Matthew 4. Look at verse 4. He says, But he answered him and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Drop down to verse 7. Jesus saith unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse 10. Then Jesus said unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Look, when the devil was trying to tempt Jesus, look, Jesus used the word of God to fight him. He says, it is written, it is written, it is written again, right? You cannot engage in a fight with the devil without the word of God. Look, these people that like to debate atheists or whatever, and they use NASB, ESV, they're not going to win nothing. Nothing. Nothing's going to come from that. It's useless. Look, you've got to use the Word of God. You want to contend with the devil? The Word of God is your only weapon against him. The Word of God. Look, when the devil was trying to tempt Jesus, he used the Word of God, right? And you cannot engage in a fight with the devil without it. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to know your Bible. You've got to be in your Bible. You've got to make the Word of God your priority in your life. Not only that, you better be making it your kids' priorities, too. Because otherwise, they're going to grow up and not know what to do. Look, you got to get in the Word. You can't just be spoon-fed three times a week. You need more than that. Look, you don't just come to church, hear pastor preach three times a week, and think you're going to contend with the devil. So number three, what's our offensive weapon? Prayer. Ephesians 6, verse 18. Pray always, right? Pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Look, how many times a day, how many times a day 
in the week? Or how, how many days of the week do you pray is what I'm trying to get out. Do you just pray on Wednesdays when we go over the prayer sheet? Or is it every day? Is it regularly scheduled? Is it multiple times a day? Right? We ought to be praying. That's how we combat the devil as well. Look. <clears throat> Luke 22, verse 31 says this. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I had prayed for thee, that thy faith fell not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Look, Jesus prayed for Peter. If Jesus could pray for Peter, a godly Christian that screwed up several times, you could pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. You could pray for those people that offended you in church. You could pray for your brethren, and you could do it more than just Wednesday when they're asking for it on the prayer sheet. No. Do you pray for them even though they know you're not doing it? Look, you must pray for your brethren. <clears throat> we fight the devil by using prayer. Not only that, not only prayer, but look, you have the offensive armors, right? The gospel, soul winning, the word of God, and prayer. Did you know that there's another offensive weapon we have? It's not listed in Ephesians chapter 6. Turn to Malachi chapter 3. Tithing. Tithing is an offensive weapon. Oh, no, he's preaching about money. Pastor's not even here. I'm not pastor. I'm going to preach about money. Okay, I'm going to tell you about tithing. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. When I heard this verse, when I was taught this verse, it hurt. It hurt. I, went off, I was on a shoestring budget. It hurt. I didn't know I was robbing God. I had no idea. Look, are you robbing God? Oh, yeah, I tithe. I tithe 10% of your net. No, no. It's 10% of your gross. That's before the government steals their share. That's before the HMO takes theirs. No, it's 10% of your gross. All right? That's before you even get the money in your account. It's 10% of your gross. That's the tithe, 10%. If you're not doing that, he's causing doubt in your life. He's shaking your faith. You've dropped your shield. Right? right? No, the word of God, 10%. That's the truth. Amen. So when we tithe, when we tithe correctly, look, we're using it as an offensive weapon against the devil. And how are we doing that? Look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. He says this, verse 11, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Look, if you're tithing correctly, 10%, the gross the part you didn't know you had to do, look, God's going to rebuke the devourer for your sakes. He's going to rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Look, if you're not tithing correctly, you're robbing God. You're attacking God. If you're tithing correctly, he's going to rebuke the devourer for your sakes. There's no in-between. There's no in-between. You're either doing it or you're not. You're going back or you're going forward. You're not standing still. There's no lukewarm tithe. No lukewarm tithe. So, real quickly, the offensive armor, soul winning, the word of God, prayer, tithe. Real quick, what is this sermon about? It's about the target equation, right? Criticalities plus techniques, that's the target. That's the devil's target package. You know your criticalities. You know the devil's techniques. You know where he's going to come at you. You have the target equation, too. And you could change it. You could defend against the attacks, right? Number one, we had the players, the attacker, Satan. We had number two, the defender, the Christian. Secondly, we had defense. We ought to be able to defend against the attacks of the devil. We got to put on truth. We got to put on righteousness. We got to take the shield of faith. We got to take the helmet of salvation. And we don't just sit there and be a defensive Christian in the pews. 
three days a week. No. We need to be out there on the streets knocking the doors. We need to be fighting the gates of hell, right? We ought to be on the offense. We ought to be advancing and fighting against the devil. And we do that with the gospel, with soul winning, right? And we do that using the word of God, our sword. And we ought to be praying for others. And we ought to be, definitely, for sure, tithing correctly. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you, you help me to preach the words you wanted me to preach, Lord. I pray that this edified this congregation. I pray that it opened the hearts and minds of people to some things that they may be deficient in. I pray that everybody decides to get that right. We all be three to thrive. We all be soul winners, Lord. I pray that you work in the hearts and minds of these people. Keep them strong, keep them safe. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.